0: So if you have that portion of scripture before you, Ephesians chapter 2, this is the word of God, reading from verse 1 through verse 10. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his likeness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. If you could keep a little marker in your Bibles at Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be uh, turning to that portion again shortly. Uh, but our text for this morning, I'm taking a text over the next uh, number of weeks, and it comes from Second Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. For you know the grace. Grace. No theme is more important than this. No theme is more magnificent than this. And no theme is more instructive than this. We're not only amazed by the grace of God. But we'll eternally thank God for his grace to us. In the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Oh, how the grace of God amazes me. For those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You were singing that. You were saying to yourself, yes, how the grace of God amazes me. For those who are not saved. You're thinking, what's the big deal? It doesn't register with you what uh, the grace of God means. And so I just want to take that term grace this morning and by the grace of God maybe Well, I pray by the end of it if uh, you're unsure what uh, saving grace means it will certainly become clear to you during the course of this sermon. The biblical record of grace comes very early in the Bible, very early. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, that historical record of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, God instructed Adam and Eve of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The possibility of death created the possibility of of judgment. But it also created the possibility of grace. And in Genesis chapter three, that possibility becomes a reality. Genesis three, verses six and seven. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruits and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. My friends, this was their meager attempt. This was their feign attempt to cover their guilt, to cover their sin, to cover their iniquity. But down in Genesis 3, verse 21 God reveals a better way. For Adam and Eve, uh, Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed them. My friends, this is grace. They deserve judgment. On the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. They deserved judgment. They deserve condemnation. They knew that they deserved condemnation and in an attempt to cover their transgression and avert ju- judgment and condemnation. They concoct this meager, pathetic, inadequate effort of fig leaves to cover their guilt. God comes along and instead of giving them what they deserve, Judgment, eternal damnation. He gives them grace. And friends, look at the price. The judgment is death. The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. They died immediately. They eat of that fruit. They died to God. They died to the things of God. And physically, death was coming. But judgment is death. And judgment isn't set aside in this case in Genesis 3. God is not saying, well, Adam and Eve, you know, don't worry about it. It wasn't as severe as I was saying it was going to be. No, there has to be death. God's righteous law demands it. And here in Genesis 3, you have not only the first incident of physical death, but the first incident of substitutionary death. Because God kills... God sacrifices an animal in order to clothe them in those animal skins. And you see, it's a picture of the Lamb of God who would one day come to be the sin offering, to give atonement for sin. And so God sacrifices an animal in order to provide a covering for these two sinners. And on account of that in Genesis chapter 3, you have the beginning of the story of saving grace. That's where it begins. And the rest of human history, the rest of scripture, is the unfolding of the story of God's grace. This is, to take you to the end, this is how the Bible ends. This is the conclusion of redemptive history. It concludes with these words in Genesis twenty-two seventeen: 17. Let him who thirsts, Come, and whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. That's the last statement of grace. Come and freely receive what you don't deserve. Because we deserve judgment. What does it take to come into the realm of salvation? What does it take to to enter into the kingdom of God? What does it take to be given the promise of heaven? Simply the recognition that you are thirsty and you have no money with which to, but to pay the water you need. Obviously he's speaking uh, figuratively, metaphorically. We, we know there's something beyond ourselves or something else we're always hankering for, always longing after in life. And we follow various roads in order to find fulfilment. But just as the hymn, writer rea- the hymn writer realized, I tried the broken cisterns. Things that promised so much, things that promised refreshing. And, and yet they were empty. And they mocked me as they wheeled. And so that's the, the picture. You come to God and you recognize that you need something you can't buy. And he offers it freely. He offers the gift of salvation in the person of his son, Jesus Christ freely that's grace we come without money to receive the water of life freely by his grace the biblical record in between genesis and revelation 22 is the story it's the account of god moving people from the kingdom of darkness the kingdom of death into the kingdom of his grace the kingdom of his love Uh, lights and liberty transferring the repentant sinner from a state of condemnation to a state of no condemnation from a state of guilt to a state uh, position of no guilt now when you think about some of those things that i've just been saying and this is what uh, liberal theologians those who would deny the bible deny the need of a savior liberal theologians critics skeptics agnostics atheists this is what they say they they say doesn't it they they put this cross sometimes as an argument doesn't it seem really really sad this whole saga of man in the garden the subsequent, you know, horrific reign of sin and death and damnation. Yeah, you I know, think it's a bit of an embarrassment to God. After all, God created everything. He looked at it, and he said, "It's good. It's good. It's really good." But didn't His grand? very good experiment really collapse in the garden with the failure of Adam and Eve I mean this seems to be the problem with God no matter who he creates he he creates angels to worship him and millions of them rebel he creates Adam and Eve to worship him and the two of them rebel so isn't this God that you're singing about isn't he really like an artist who painted what he claimed was going to be his great masterpiece for which he should be honored only to have all the colors run together in a chaotic mess because he mixed the paint wrongly isn't god like a sculptor whose master work apparently well appeared initially magnificent but from a bad choice of material, it melted in the bright sun into a shapeless heap. Isn't this God? Isn't he like a builder who built his great building only to have it collapse on the day that it was uh, dedicated? Shouldn't you, shouldn't you really be a bit embarrassed about this God that you're reading about, singing about, and proclaiming. You know, that that's what some theologians have been saying. Some people argue. You know, God made the whole thing, but oops sort of went belly up in the Garden of Eden. A surprise to him and everybody else. And so this this grace that you're talking about is plan B. God trying to recover the mess. God really trying to land on his feet after a masterpiece went badly, badly wrong. Now listen friends. Grace is not plan B. God from before the foundation of the world. Ever before he said let there be light determined. To create the universe, and he determined to create man with a few to expressing his grace. God is never caught off guard. There was never, ever a plan B. Now, I want to draw your attention specifically to saving grace. There are a number of portions of Scripture that I could have turned your attention to this morning, but perhaps the clearest and most obvious is found in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. So we read that earlier. If you turn it uh, up again, you'll see in verse 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with, with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ or with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What is grace? It is unmerited favor. It's unearned favor. The good news is that salvation is by grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest anyone should what boast thank you we're saved by grace Titus 2 verse 11 the grace that brings the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men it's grace unmerited merited favor the kind, good will, the mercy, the loving kindness of God grants this as a gift, and all we have to do is receive it, believing by faith that God has given it to us. I don't know if uh, times have moved on. Have three mums here this morning. Do they still slap the baby's bottom when it's born? Well, Jane was totally out of it she's looking, at, <laughs> she's looking for confirmation from Luke I don't know, did they ever do that? well, there's Lisa shaking the head maybe it's just an old wives tale or whatever but you know what, you're told you when know, the baby's born slap its bottom, it starts to cry and it was the evidence, that, you know Ur has come into its lungs and its, and its living uh, I Say, it might have been an old wives tale But, um, you know, to to use that little example as an analogy, Jesus said we must be born again. And you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. Nicodemus, religious man, the religious leader in Israel, comes to Jesus. Jesus just looks out of eyeball to eyeball and says, Nicodemus, you're not even close. Like everybody in Israel, everybody in Jerusalem is looking at Nicodemus, and they're saying, see if anybody's in front of the queue for heaven, it's this guy. You know, religiously, he's on the ball. Comes to Jesus, Jesus says, you're not even close. You have to be born again. So we are born into God's kingdom. We are saved by being born again. That doesn't happen when water is poured on your head as a little baby. That doesn't happen as a result of something that's conferred on you by some man. It's something that God gives. So we enter into God's kingdom. We're born again. And we get life from him, spiritual life from him. And sometimes that happens, and it happens ever so gently. Like Lydia in the Acts of the Apostles, sitting by the river, and it says, The Lord opened her heart. But other times. You know. In in the sovereignty of God. It's like he hits us that slap. He whacks us. Brings us up short. In other words. What I'm saying is. He brings things crashing. Into our lives. And it's only when those things. Come crashing into our lives. And many of us. Came to faith. When we were on our backs. Everything else had been stripped away from us. And God leaves us bare. And we are just simply looking up. And that's crashing into our, whatever it was. Whatever came crashing into our lives. It's like God slapping us. Bringing us to our senses. We repent of our sin. We trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We move from death to life. And we are breathing Spiritually. Either way, friends, whether God moves in your heart gently or he pulls you up short, if we are alive, if we are spiritually alive, it is because God has breathed his breath into us. We are born from above. There is no place for self-congratulations. There is no place for human achievement. We are saved, not by works. We by grace. Romans 3, verse 24, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In verse 27 of Romans 3, where is boasting then? You have nothing to boast about. It's excluded. By what law? By the law of works? Because you've done your best and you're getting your brownie points? No. By the law of faith. We believe What God says, we believe his promises, it's gracious. God's gracious act. Salvation does not come by confirmation. Salvation does not come by communion. Salvation does not come by baptism. Salvation does not come by church membership or uh, church fellowship. Salvation doesn't come by church attendance. It doesn't come by you trying to keep the Ten Commandments or trying to live out or work out the Sermon of the Mount. It doesn't come by giving to charity. It doesn't come by believing that there is a God or even that there is a Christ who was born in Bethlehem and went to the cross and rose again the third day. It doesn't come by simply being moral and respectable and upstanding citizen in your society. It doesn't come even by claiming to be a Christian. It comes when we receive salvation by faith in Christ alone. It's the gift of grace. Why, of course, when you're born again, when the breath of uh, God comes into your life and you move from spiritual death to spiritual life, when you become a Christian, when you're born a Christian, then you will want to be baptized. You want to be baptized the way Jesus says to be baptized and the way the Word of God says to be baptized, as we did with Reuben a few weeks ago. You go through the waters of baptism. You show what has taken place spiritually in your life by that picture of baptism. You will want to attend church because you'll want to meet with the people of God. You want to be in fellowship with the local church. And of course you will give to charitable and other worthy causes and seek to lead a righteous life. But you will not, you will not be doing any of that to be saved. You will not be doing any of that in the hope that you will get into heaven on the basis of all of this. No, you will be doing it as an outworking of your faith. Now here's what's tragic. This is heartbreaking. Hell is full and will be full of people who think they have salvation, they have a right to heaven, because they do all of those things that I mentioned above and more. That somebody sprinkled water on their head when they were (coughs) a baby makes them a Christian doesn't? That somebody conferred something on them, some religious institution conferred something on them, makes them a Christian, doesn't? Hell is full of religious people. The Bible says we receive grace. That's the first provision of the gospel that you don't have to earn it. You couldn't earn it. It's impossible. For by grace you're saved. Galatians 2.16 for by the works the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified the late uh, Dr. Donald Donald Gray Barnhouse uh, Christian preacher, pastor theologian radio pioneer in those early days of radio he said love looks love that looks upward is worship love that looks outward is affection and love that stoops is grace and you see friends God has stooped to give us grace through his son Jesus Christ God stooped in Jesus Christ to give you and me what we don't deserve that's why we you know, uh, sing all of those carols at Christmas time God coming into this world stooping from the heights of uh, his glory into this world. He who was rich becoming poor for us. Ephesians 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved. The Reformers taught grace alone. That alone is so important. And why did they make such an issue of grace alone? Because the Roman Catholic Church teaches salvation by grace. But what they teach is that everyone has a certain deposit of grace. It's a bit like a a pilot light in your stove. And they say it's a bit like a pilot light of grace in everyone. The little pilot light means that you have the capacity to do the right thing, to do the righteous thing in bringing about your salvation. It's a gross error because we're all dead. The Roman Catholic Church said you are enabled by grace. We're kick-started by grace. The pilot light lit by grace. But then salvation depends upon your works. Well, that cannot possibly be. Can't be true. Why can't it be true? We just read it in First 9 of Ephesians 2. It's not of works. Couldn't be more explicit, couldn't be clearer than that, could it? Not of works, that's the negative. The positive backs up to first, eight. it's the gift of God. And prior to that, it's not of yourselves. You have nothing to boast in. You know, you can't say I co- I cooperated in some measure of grace deposited in me by God. No. You, you didn't bring about any aspect of your own salvation. To, even to the least degree. Titus again quoting from Titus 3 verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Having been justified by his grace, we should become that we should become ours according to the hope of eternal life. So salvation is by grace grace and that reformation term grace alone is absolutely accurate it's absolutely essential you know grace alone christ alone it's not christ plus you know 101 other things Uh, the bible alone faith alone to the glory of god alone all those alones of the reformation are essential it is by grace fully by grace alone if grace is not, you know, if, if grace is not all, then grace is not grace. If grace is mixed with law or some kind of works, grace is not grace. Grace is unmerited favor from God, not a result of works. It's a gift of God. No one can boast in anything as we were singing in our opening hymn with regard to salvation. That's the foundation of understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not of works, gift of God, undeserved kindness. Gospel grace has six components. Now I'm just going to give you the headings basically here because we're almost out of time. But it's from sin. It's by love. It's into life. It's for glory. It's through faith. And it's on to good works. Gracious, gracious salvation is from sin. Look at the opening three verses of Ephesians 2. You who made alive who were dead. In trespasses and sins in which you once walked. According to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the earth. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath just as others. That establishes the condition of every human being. It's from sin. We're all born in trespasses and sin. You know our problem? Our problem is we're dead. We may look alive, but we're dead. We're heading towards a grave. And just like you know the daffodils that you put in water and it looks they look lovely, they're blooming, but they're dying. We're dead in sin, condition of every human being, and every one of us who are now believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, born again. Every one of us once walked according to the course of this world, this world. Once walked according to the prince of the power. Of darkness. With no time for God or the things of God. All. It says first 3. All conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. All of us. We were by nature. First four. Children of wrath. So before you get to the good news. You have to have the bad news. Which is why the good news is really really good news. So this is the condition of the whole human race, and it's not that we are dead because of their—we're dead because of our sins and our trespasses. It's that we are—we're born dead in sin. We're born in this condition. It's the, fate, it's the sphere in which we exist until God comes into our life. So, do you understand the problem? The problem is that we are dead to God. Dead to the things of God, that this is depravity. You have a condition of absolute deadness, and that deadness engulfs every human soul in a life of trespasses and sins. Two different words for violating the law of God. So when we're talking about salvation, and I just want to make this clear, we're not talking about you know the Lord coming to rescue you from a, a lack of purpose in life. We're not talking about the Lord coming to rescue you from unfulfillment or loneliness. We're not talking about God coming to uh, rescue you from dissatisfaction or unhappiness or a bad marriage or poverty or abuse or disappointment or illness. No, the gospel is about delivering us from sin. Okay? Once we're delivered from sin, then a lot of all those other things you, you know are worked out in the process. You know, and uh, we we get our lives sorted out. But the second principle, the gospel, is not only from sin. This is wonderful. It's by love. Verses 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God loved us. That's the amazing reality. Friends, this is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There is no other religion that has a God of love who gives himself. There is no other religion that has a God sacrificing himself for people who were his enemies. All demonic, devilish, satanic religions of people sacrificing Sacrificing to their gods. You know, sacrifice your children. Sacrifice living beings. Sacrifice animals. Sacrifice your wealth or whatever. Their gods demand sacrifice. But the true and living God, the creator God, gives himself as a sacrifice for sinners out of pure, unbounded love. His love is great. His love reaches a peak at the cross on Calvary's hill where his son uh, hangs and he dies in the room instead of sinners. The love of God is best measured by death because Jesus said greater love has no man than this than a man lay down his life for what? For his friends. That's what God did. There is no such story in any other religion. Third reality, verse 5 salvation is unto life. Even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. So you were dead, He made you alive because of the richness of His mercy, the greatness of His love, the extensive expression of his grace he has made us alive how did he do that he made us alive together in christ it's always the grace that comes through christ and so he placed us into christ in christ we died in christ we live it's pictured for us as i say inner baptism and friends this is amazing in eternity past god knew upon whom he would set his love and when christ went to the cross God placed all the sin of all who would ever believe on his son at Calvary. He knew the full record of their sin. And Jesus pays, atones for it all. Salvation is from sin. It's by love. It's into life. Number four, salvation is for glory. Verses six and seven. Raised us up together. Made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kingdom toward us in Christ Jesus. Why does God want to take you to heaven? So that he can show you eternal kindness. Right throughout eternity. Eternal kindness. Number five, salvation is through faith. It gets us to the familiar words that we've already touched on in verses 8 and 9. And sixthly, it's on to good works. So he saves us so that we work out our faith. And he gives us the grace to do that. By the Holy Spirit that he sheds abroad in our hearts. And so friends we uh, we show our compassion. Our love and our affection as we work out our, our faith. This is where we do the deeds of kindness. And mercy and all the righteous things. Things that the Bible tells us to do. But they are not the cause of our salvation. They are the result they're the outworking of our salvation for you know the grace we touched on saving grace redeeming grace god willing next week we'll move on to the first word of the defined title for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ we'll come to to look at lord god willing uh, next week